Um, wonder if you have ever wished that um, somewhere along the way of life you could get kind of like a progress check, maybe a report card that tells you how you're doing in the Christian life, uh, maybe something that would, uh, you know, like we get progress reports at school, you can get something that says, hey, uh, take a look at this, this is how you're doing when it comes to your comprehension and understanding of all the things of, of the Christian life. Um, today we're going to do that by looking into just uh, four verses from the Philippian correspondence, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And we're going to see, kind of get a progress check uh, to see how we're doing as it relates to understanding uh, the essence of the gospel. Not just talking about facts, not just being able to explain and articulate the gospel, not a sense of here's a progress check in terms of do you know the facts of the Bible, but how well do we really in our heart of hearts know uh, the gospel of Christ? So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. We've been uh, studying this letter, a letter full of joy, letter written from a prison somewhere uh, in the ancient world, <clears throat> from the pen, the quill of the Apostle Paul, to the church that was so dear and so beloved to him, the church that met in Philippi. We're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. This is God's word. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. Remember the, the uh, place that we've been looking at so far, the first 26 verses of Philippians, Paul the apostle is writing from jail and he's been uh, writing this letter because the Philippians want to know, hey Paul, how are you doing while you're hanging out, while you're there in prison? How are things going for you? And Paul for the first 26 verses have given his greeting and then he's talked a little bit about his situation. And now starting in verse 27 for the first time, he begins to talk about shifting his focus away from himself and on to the Philippians, and talk, but let's, let's, that's enough about me, let's talk about you here. And he begins to write to them because they're going through a very similar thing that Paul is going through. Remember, Paul was going through persecution from those outside, at the same time, those inside were causing him trouble as well, and they were talking badly about him and, and speaking ill about him. So there's pressure from the outside, there's pressure from inside, and Paul was saying, I'm seeking to stand firm for the sake of the gospel. And as he turns that around to the Philippians, he's saying the same thing is happening to you. There are threats of unity within the church, <clears throat> and then there are uh, persecution and oppression coming from outside of the church. And he's saying, in the same way that I have stood firm for the sake of the gospel, he's challenging the church that they would do the same thing. And the way that he talks about this is he says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? Here's the picture that he's giving. He's saying, take the gospel of Christ. Okay, this life-changing, world-altering, history-making, life-transforming gospel of Christ, gospel of the kingdom of God, and put it on one end of a scale. And the weight of the gospel on one side of the scale, and then take your life, all that you are, okay? Whoever you are, you're Claire, right? You're Jay, you're Chris, whoever you are, take your life and put that on the other side of the scale, and how do they match up? Then our lives should be lived in such a way that our life and the glorious gospel of Christ that has transformed our lives should be of equal value. 
of equal weight. Think that's what it should look like. Think live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And if the gospel is so much more weighty than your life, if the gospel is so much more than your life, then the problem is our gospel, our view of the gospel is probably pretty stinky. If people look at our lives and they don't see the gospel of Christ, then our version of the gospel is probably pretty weak. That's, to put it bluntly, that's what Paul is saying. Saying if your life is lived in such a way that people look at the gospel, they're like, that's, the gospel is not all that, then our gospel is way too small. And so Paul gives three tests to say, okay, I know you want to go a little bit deeper. What is the gospel? What does that mean to me? How do I tell how well I'm doing when it comes to living out the gospel? He gives three tests here. The first thing in verse 27 is our conduct. It says in verse 27, whatever happens, good or bad, persecution, threats, whatever it is, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit. And then he goes on. The first thing that he says is your conduct, put your conduct on one end of the scale with the gospel on the other end. In light of the way you live life, in light of your conduct, what do people see the gospel to be? It's interesting because the word that Paul uses here, this this word uh, conduct yourselves, actually it says conduct yourselves. It shows up only twice in the New Testament, here and in Acts 23.1. But in other places, in those two places, as well as in uh, other Greek literature, extra biblical literature, this word means, uh, has this uh, connotation of citizenship. So the idea that this word has is, is we should express our citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, this word uh, citizenship meant a lot to the church in Philippi. You remember they're uh, in the Macedonian region of the world, uh, part of the Roman Empire. But a very small percentage, only a small percentage of people who lived in the Roman Empire were actually citizens of Rome. So Philippi, here's Philippi. It's a Macedonian colony 800 miles away from Rome. And everything about their lives has been barbarian, has been Greek up until this point in time. But somehow they have been granted citizenship in Rome. Here's how it happened. They had a civil war. Um, Philippi was one of the decisive battles. And a bunch of Roman soldiers ended up settling in Philippi. And by virtue of that, uh, Philippi became a Roman, uh, a Roman uh, be, the people of Philippi became Roman citizens. So Caesar uh, said, well, because there's all these people here, we'll make Philippi to become a Rome away from Rome. And all of a sudden, that day, everything began to change in the lives of these Roman people. Before they, they, they spoke Greek, now they speak Latin. And all of a sudden, there's this new sense of dignity. Before they were barbaric people, now they're dignified, distinguished Roman citizens. Before they wore Macedonian, Philippian clothing, now they wear Roman garb. And everything is different about their lives. They hang their head a little bit higher. They've got a greater sense of self-worth and self-importance. And Paul is saying, remember how much it meant for you when you became a Roman citizen. Remember how much that meant. He's saying you lived in light of your citizenship. Your conduct was in keeping with your citizenship. He's saying now remember that you are a citizen of an even greater place. Then live your lives in light of the gospel. When you became a Roman citizen, you became different and you lived like it. He's saying, now you're a citizen of the gospel. You're different. Live like it. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Because we know that our 
citizenship always affects our conduct. You see people from other places who come to America maybe, and you look at them and and they have these strange customs and these strange habits, and you know that they're not from America. You know that they're from another place. Growing up, uh, obviously for a lot of us, uh, we grew up with parents who are citizens of another place. My parents, uh, citizens of Korea. And so a lot of the things that they did, I just naturally assumed that that's how everyone else does life. There's a lot of things that are strange about Korean parents and citizens of Korea. Um, This is not too strange, but I I grew up thinking that a a dishwasher in the kitchen was meant to just be a storage place. It was meant to be a drying rack. As soon as uh, my parents would do the dishes, they would put it in the dishwasher. And I thought, wow, that's what it's there for. I never heard the sound of a dishwasher until I started living with Caucasian people. I started living with American people, and I was like, wow, that's what it sounds like. I I would do my dishes, and I'd put my clean dishes in the dishwasher, just like my parents had taught me. And my friends would put their dirty dishes in there, and they would run the dishwasher, and I'd say, hey, you don't need to do that because these dishes are already clean. And they're like, why would you put clean dishes into a dishwasher, right? And I said, wow, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. You put dirty dishes so that the dishes would get washed. I didn't realize because my parents were citizens of Korea, they were a little bit different. I didn't know that dishwashers were actually serving the purpose of washing dishes. I also didn't know that I thought everybody, uh, when they used a toothpick, covered their mouth like this, right? But then I saw other people doing it, and they're just like out in the open. Then maybe it's just, maybe it's just my Korean parents who cover their mouth and, and feel ashamed to show people the toothpick in their mouth. I, I didn't know that. I, I also thought that every, every little boy, when they would go to the grocery store with their parents, when they were separated from their parents, I thought every boy would be called and yelled and screamed their name all the way across the aisles of the grocery store when their parents were looking for them. And I thought it was everybody. It was just, I, I think it was just my parents. Be at, you know, be at the, the, the grocery store, and I would go off to the cereal aisle, and my mom would be looking at the, gro- at the vegetables and things like that, and, and she'd be looking for me, and she would yell my name. She'd be like, David! <laughs> and I'd be like, well, stop it. What are you doing? And, and I, I, I didn't want to yell back at her, so I started running, trying to find where she was, and she would keep on screaming my name, and everyone is looking at her, and everyone's looking at me running. And I thought everybody did that, but it was really just our parents, right? Apparently, it was, maybe it was just me, but mom did that. There's a lot of things that... A lot of things that my parents did as Korean citizens, as people who grew up in Korea, that is different by virtue of where they grew up and by virtue of where they lived. Because our citizenship always affects our conduct. And so Paul is saying, you are citizens of the gospel. Saying, remember who you are. You're different. Live like it. So he's saying, think about your life. How is our conduct different? When people, when other people are, are, are going out and maybe they go, to, they go to work and they cut corners a little bit here and there. They leave work about 15 minutes early or they talk, they talk about their coworkers behind their back or they make faces at their boss when their boss walks by saying, you're different than that. Right? You're different than that. Your conduct shows the worth of the gospel because that's not who you are. You're not like the world anymore. You're different. And when you go to school, when everyone else goes and, and they go 10 minutes early to school or on the way to school, on the school bus, they copy their friend's homework. Or they, they, they go and they uh, look at their, other, uh, at their friend's quiz when they're taking that pop quiz. Or they open up their textbook when their teacher walks out and you're taking a test. Then you're not like that anymore. You're different. 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because how you respond to these things, how your conduct is, demonstrates to other people your view of the gospel and the worth of the gospel to a world that's watching. And so he says, what is your conduct like in light of the gospel? But then he goes on to say, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm as one man for the sake of the gospel. Paul is saying, but here, don't do it. Don't, con- don't, don't have this gospel conduct just when I'm watching you, just when I'm there, but do it all the time for the sake of the gospel. You know, sometimes we act differently when certain people are watching, right? When you go to work and you're messing around surfing the internet and, and, and then your supervisor comes, you know how to push Alt-Tab, right, to shift away from the internet screen and back onto the screen that you're working on? And we know how to, how to cover things up so that when our boss comes, it makes it seem like we're working hard. Or when we've been playing all day and then as soon as we hear the garage door open and mom and dad are coming home, we start cleaning up our room to make it look like that's what we've been doing or, or we bust out our books and we act like we've been studying the whole time, right? Or when we're at, at school and we're kind of goofing around and, and then the teacher walks back into the room and then we act like we're, we're, we're studying, we try to not laugh when she comes or when he comes. I, I had a friend who was a um, roommate of mine in, in college and we used to go play basketball a lot and... Uh, he was average, very average basketball player. Scale of one to ten, he was about a five. He was about a five. But as soon as girls would walk into the gym, uh, he would become LeBron James. He'd just completely different person. He'd play with this like extra, like supercharged, turbocharged level of intensity. He'd be making all of his shots and be running around like diving for loose balls. And you're like, dude, what happened? Where did, where did that other guy go? <laughs> if he was on our team, we'd be like, okay, keep playing like that. But if he was on the other team, we're like, dude, bring that other guy back. Because it's completely different. And Paul's saying, look, I don't want you, I don't want you to, to, to act a, a life in, in keeping the gospel just because I'm watching you. Just because you're sitting next to your Sunday school teacher. Just because your pastor is around. Don't act differently because of that. Act differently because to you, the gospel is worth it. Because to you, Christ is worth it. He's not just talking about church. He's talking about with your boyfriend with your girlfriend, when no one else is looking and you're just alone in your room and everyone else has gone to sleep, in that place, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, not because anyone's watching, but because the gospel is that worth it. That's the first test. You put your conduct, your life, and weigh it on the scale with the gospel. What is the view of the gospel that's being portrayed by your conduct and by your life, and what is it that other people are seeing? That's the first test. The second thing he says is our cooperation. Verse 27, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And here's a second way that you see how much that others see how much the gospel is worth to you, not only in how you conduct yourself, but in your cooperation with other people, in your cooperation with other believers, saying this is how we see, this is how a watching world looks at and sees the worth of the gospel by your life, how you cooperate with others. Uh, I was at, at home this week, and baby girl Manny was uh, just hanging out on the couch, uh, drinking her uh, Coke and, and flipping through the channels, and, and, and she was watching this TV show um, called, called Wonder Pets on Nickelodeon Junior. It's this channel, Nickelodeon, the kids' channel. And she was watching this show called Wonder Pets, and the, and the, so the show is about, um, it's about a chick and, and a turtle and a hamster, baby, baby little animals here. And um, 
I, I've only watched it one time, but Olivia sings a song, and she says this song comes out on every show. There's a song that they sing that says, it goes like, what's going to work? Teamwork. And they always sing this song. What's going to work? Teamwork. What's going to work? Teamwork. And so, um, as just as, as she had said, this this episode, they sang that song. And so there's these three um, little animals, and they're, they're, they're um, tiny, they're baby animals, and and apparently every show, they're on this some kind of a mission, right? And so uh, they're in Australia this one particular day, and uh, their mission this day is to help a baby kangaroo, a joey, find its mama kangaroo. And so this baby kangaroo is really sad, and it's, it's, it's fearful, it's afraid. And so um, these three wonder pets start, they start singing this song. It says, like, we're uh, the wonder pets, and we're on our way, and we're going to help the baby kangaroo to... And we're going to save the day or something like that. And, and so they're, they're, they're trying to find, uh, find this baby kangaroo's mother. And so they're like, we're going to find it, we're going to find it. But the problem is the sun is setting. It's getting darker and darker and darker. So they're like, we've got to hustle, we've got to hurry. And so the chick says, I'll fly as high as I can so I can look out and get a bird's eye view. And, and, and I'll find the baby can- uh, the, uh, mama kangaroo. And so she starts to flap her wings. And then she realizes that she can only get so high. She's like, I can't see anything. And so she falls back to the ground. Like, we're never going to make it. We're never going to make it. And then all of a sudden, they have this grand idea. They said, we're going to climb up this mountain. And then when we get to the top of the mountain, we'll be able to see. And so they, they climb together. They, they can only get so far, and they slide back down the mountain. So they're like, we've got to, maybe if we work together, we can do it. And so they help each other. They pull one another up, and then they all get to the top of the mountain. And then they, they, they say, wow, the view from the mountain is so great. And then they see the, the mama kangaroo. And the mama kangaroo is saying, baby, baby. And then the, the baby kangaroo on top of the mountain sees his mom and it says, mama, mama. And they hear each other and then they're, they're reunited and, and they're so happy. And the wonder pets are, are, are so excited. And, and the mama kangaroo is so grateful that she has this Australian barbecued celery for them and she gives it to them. And then they, they celebrate and then they fly away. And as they're flying away, as they're flying away, the wonder pets, they sing this song again. It says, um, we're the wonder pets, and then it goes something like, we're not too big, we're not too tough, but when we work together, we've got the right stuff, and then everyone is like all happy. It's like this, this, this amazing picture of, of like when, when the chick tried to do it all by himself, and he, he fell back to the ground, but for the, sake of, for the sake of this mission, for the sake of this vision that they're trying to accomplish, they say, we've got to work together. Alone, we're not too big and we're not too tough, but when we come together, we've got the right stuff to make it happen. We've got the right stuff to, to show forth the worth of our mission. And Paul is saying, when we work together alone, we're not too big and, and we're not too tough, but when we come together, we've got the right stuff. And people see the, the worth of the mission. They see the worth of the gospel when we begin to work together to do what could not be done alone. See, the word that Paul uses here when he says, um, to, to, I know that you stand firm in one spirit. The word that he's using is a word, it's a Greek word, it says soon athleo. Soon means with. Athleo is the word, obviously, we get this word uh, athlete, athletics from. And so the picture that he's getting is, is of a team. Right? Perhaps the, the image that the, the Romans got was of, of a coliseum and a team of gladiators, and they're fighting against these, these raging animals. And in order for the gladiators to win, in order for them to stay alive, they don't fight against each other, they fight with each other. And as soon as one person thinks he's going to be the show-off gladiator and he, he, get, he separates himself from the rest of, the, from the, rest of the, the team, he's going to end up getting killed. It's the same thing that happens in, in, in sports these days. 
Think about a football team or a basketball team or whatever it is. Any good team, in order for them to win a championship and to win a multiple championships, they've got to work together. Anytime it's just one person all by themselves, they can be a great player, but nobody says they're the greatest ever because they've never won anything. Because they say to this guy, individual accolades are a whole lot bigger than the championship, and the worth of the championship becomes diminished in the eyes of people who see this guy because he's not willing to work together for the sake of the prize. And what Paul is saying here is if you want to see the worth of the gospel, you want to show the worth of the gospel, you've got to let go of your individual pride. You've got to let go of yourself and work together with other people for the sake of the gospel because that's how people see. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in that high priestly prayer right before Jesus was to go to the cross? He prayed, Father, I pray that just as you and I are one, that all of my believers, all who would come and believe in my name, that they too would be one. Then the world will know that they are my disciples when they see their love and their unity for one another. That's what Paul says. That's what Jesus is saying. And it takes this kind of humility in order to get to that place. And the only thing that can give us this kind of humility is a deep understanding of the gospel that tells us how wretchedly flawed we are and how absolutely nothing we contribute. But because of grace, we have been bought into this family. And because of that, we can give ourselves to other people and say, I can't do this by myself. But when I work together for the sake of the gospel, we can do this. He's saying, when you, when you live as citizens of heaven, when you live as people of the gospel, we begin to work together with others. Then when people look at how much or how little you cooperate with other believers, what is the gospel according to you in light of your cooperation? says, we, even though we are blood-bought saints of Christ Jesus, we can do the devil's work when we live in disunity with one another. When we begin to judge other people's motives in the church, we begin to think badly about them and say, yeah, they might be doing good things, but you know what's really driving them? We begin to think badly about them. We begin to talk badly about them. We begin to diminish another person's ministry. We begin to talk badly about another person's family, whatever it might be. We begin to, 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 to not give others the benefit of the doubt. Or we say, because I don't like them, I'm not going to pray for them. Or when we only hang out with our circle of friends within the church, or we only hang out within uh, the people of our cell church, we only hang out with people in our class, we only hang out with people that we are, uh, uh, have affinity with. It says, based on this, we're not showing the unity and the cooperation that Christ desires to see in us. And when we do that, Paul dares to say we cheapen the gospel and its witness in the lives of a watching world. When we continually live in and, and perpetuate the cycle of, of division, whether it be through cliques or gossip or whatever that might be. And so Paul says here, once again, we put the gospel on a scale and you look at your life and your cooperation, your unity with other people. What is your picture of the gospel, what are you presenting to a world that's watching and looking and seeing? That's the second test. And then the last test, finally. The last test is is a test of courage, verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. When 
uh, Paul is talking about living a life worthy of the gospel. The third test that he gives is the test of our courage. And we know this. We talked about this last week also. But when people see our courage for the gospel, it shows, or our lack of courage, it shows our view of the gospel. We betray our view of the gospel, for better or for worse. We show others what we really believe the gospel to be, whether it's worth it or not. That's what people see. When he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, the picture that he's giving here is of a horse. Okay? See, a horse is all ready for battle. And then just as he's about to charge in the battle, he shrinks back in fear and he turns around. Whatever the reason might be, maybe because he, he, he's out there and, and he's just about to charge and then he hears gunshots in the air. Or he's just about to charge and he sees all these other horses and he gets scared and he, and he withdraws. He's just about to charge and then he, he sees horses falling down or he, he smells blood or whatever it might be and, and this horse shrinks back in fear. And Paul is saying this is how a lot of times we live life. We come to church on Sundays. We go to our cell church meetings, and we're all ready. We're all excited to, to get out there and to charge and to attack the world. And then as soon as Monday morning comes, we, we kind of shrink back in fear. We come to church. We gather with our believers. We're rallied up. We're ready to go and tell the world that Jesus lives. And then, and then Monday comes, and then we, we get afraid. We get afraid to really stand up for Christ. And Paul is saying, our courage shows the worth of the gospel in the eyes of a watching world. This courage by very definition is only courage if we're afraid. Courage is doing the right thing in the face of fear. And so, of course, we're going to be afraid, but he's saying, in your fear, don't shrink back. Stand firm. Stand firm. Because if our God is with us, then what could ever stop us? Stand firm in the face of fear and do what you know is right. That's what courage is, and your courage will show forth what the gospel is to you. I had a friend in college who was, um, I thought he was a very devout believer, um, Caucasian friend of mine. He was in, uh, president of his uh, interfraternity. I'm sorry, his, uh, there's a, within his fraternity, within the fraternities at the university that I attended, there was um, a Christian fellowship, Christian gathering, and he was a president of that fellowship group. And uh, I remember eating, uh, eating uh, meals with him at the dining hall a few times, and, or either that or, or watching him eat, we would kind of bump into each other. And, and I remember a couple times I would, I would see him as he got his food and he sat down. As he sat down to pray, he would always take off his hat and, and then he would do something like this and, and he'd just like rub his head for a few seconds. And I knew, what he, I knew that he was praying. But I saw as he was doing that, there was a sense of, this sense of shame also in in. in, in sitting in front of the dining hall full of people and, and outwardly praying. Or, or other times he would pray and he would just kind of like scratch his nose and, and, and do something like this for a few seconds. And then he would pick up his fork and then he would, he would continue eating. And as I saw him, you know, I, I, I know I was, I was judgmental and I was pharisaical in this, but I remember looking at him and saying, is that what the gospel is worth to you? I know I shouldn't have said that, but, but the point is, how we stand in the face of hardship, in the face of fear, is going to picture to other people the worth of the gospel. Paul is saying, yes, yeah, suffering is going to come. Opposition is going to come. Persecution is going to come. People are not going to like you, but here's what you've got to remember when, you're, when, when, you, when you are tempted to shrink back in fear. 
that you've got to understand that it's not because God is angry at you. It's not because God has left you. In fact, he's close to you. He's saying this is a sign that you will be saved as you stand firm in the face of adversity, as you stand firm in the face of opposition, as you don't shrink back in fear. It's a sign that you're on the right path and that those who oppose you are on the wrong path towards destruction. And you're on the right path because this is showing, this is a sign that you're genuinely a believer because most people in the face of persecution, they're just wishy-washy Christians. They're going to fall away. Saying, as you stand firm, it's a sign that you're on the right path and that you're going to be saved. Paul's saying, here, here's another thing you can take comfort in. I went through the same trial. You saw that I'm going through the same struggle that I had. And you know what? I'm still having this trial. But as I go through it, one, I find joy. And two, grace abounds to me so that I can meet these challenges, so I can stand firm, that I can be courageous in the face of adversity. I can stand firm. So in light of our courage, when it comes to challenging times, what are we saying about the gospel here? What does courage look like to you? Maybe for some it, might, it may mean what it meant for that young lady, that high school student in Columbine High School when crazed gunman held a gun up to her head and said, do you believe in God? And her dying words were, yes, I do, and he shot her. Maybe for some of us, that's what it may mean sometime in our, in our life. But maybe for others, maybe for, for most of us, it doesn't mean that. Maybe it means something as every day as saying, I'm going to stand firm in the midst of what other people might say in my school cafeteria. I'm going to sit and I'm going to I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to pray for God's blessing, not only over this meal over the rest of this day, but over these people in my school. And I'm going to pray. I'm not going to be afraid to do that. Maybe it means to, to not be afraid when people ask you, hey, what'd you do all weekend? After they've talked about their parting, after they've talked about all the movies that they've seen and all the things that they've done. Maybe it means saying, hey, on Saturday night, I went to church and on Sunday, I went to church. In fact, I spent the whole weekend at church. And they say, you're kind of weird. Maybe that's what it means for us to stand firm in the face of opposition and to not make up stuff like, oh, I just, I just, I stayed home. Maybe it means when, when we go to work, talking about Jesus and not being afraid to talk about him, not being afraid to let others know what we believe, not being afraid even to, to maybe start a, a, a Bible study in your, a Bible study in your, uh, in your workplace. It's 10 minutes before, 15 minutes before you go to work every day. Say, hey, uh, if anyone wants to join in a Bible study, have an investigative Bible study. Say, what are the top five reasons y'all don't believe in Jesus? And then have them write it down. And then you take these things, go home, and then you research biblical answers to these questions, and you go and you talk about it. Maybe that's what it means to stand firm in the face of adversity. But our courage, and our courage shows how much we value the gospel and shows a picture of what we think the gospel to be. See, anyone knows that suffering is bad and suffering is hard, but verse 29, Paul says, God has granted it to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Paul is saying this is somehow, somehow as we go through hardship, as we go through adversity, as we go through persecution and opposition, because we're followers of Christ, he's saying that is a privilege that we have. Somehow he says that. I don't know how, well, when... Manny was, was first born, about a month after she was born, uh, my dad wanted to, he, he wanted to come and see her. First granddaughter, first grandchild was born, and so he uh, was driving down, 67-year-old man, he uh, made a 15-hour drive from Virginia uh, down here to Orlando, drives a little bit slower because a little bit older, um, 
15 hours. His plan was to break it up, stop in the Carolinas, maybe uh, early part of Georgia, take a nap, sleep the night, and then make it the next morning to come and see, uh, to see Manny. But as he was driving, as he got into North Carolina, as he got into South Carolina, as he got into Georgia, his heart was filled with just such a sense of, of longing and anticipation to see his granddaughter, that he couldn't stop driving, that he couldn't stop driving. He got into Florida. He got into the northern part of Florida. He kept on going. And then as we're calling to, to see where his progress was, he's like, I'm about an hour outside of your house. Like, what are you talking about? He said, I, can't, I, just, I, I couldn't wait to see my granddaughter. And so he made it and he drove and, and he came into the house and, and the first thing he did, he, he, said, he said hello to all of me real quick and then he just said, where is she? And he went and for 15 minutes, he just sat there and he prayed for her and we're just sitting there watching him. All right. Okay, uh, you know, anytime now, Dad, she's gonna wake up here. He's just, he's just praying for her. And God, thank you for this child. Thank you that my eyes get to see her. And for, for a 67-year-old man, driving 15 hours is not easy. But when he realized that this is for my granddaughter, that suffering wasn't, I have to do this. He didn't come and say, oh, I had to do it. He says, I, I get to do this. I get to do this because I get to see the object of my prayers and the longing of my heart. You know, when Paul was going through this suffering, just sitting inside a jail cell in either Rome or Ephesus, wherever it might be, he wasn't sitting there. And the reason the gospel went forth through the Praetorian Guard was not because Paul said, I hate this. I really have to do this. I'm a Roman citizen. I shouldn't be here. I am being unjustly tried. This stinks. And then the gospel went forth. No. Because Paul said, man, it's so worth it. I get to do this for Christ. Because he knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus Christ was God incarnate that he left the comforts of home, that he willingly, courageously undertook suffering by coming to this foreign world, that God Almighty began his life in a manger, in a place where animals would stick their dirty mouths in and eat from. That's where he called his first bed. That's what he called his first bed. He left the beautiful intimacy and relationship with his loving father, left all that behind, to be a homeless person, go to a place where even though foxes have holes and birds have nests, he had no place to lay his head. And Paul knew all the junk that Jesus put up with because he was the one, one of the greatest perpetrators of evil against him, the one who was talking trash, the one who was killing people in the name of Jesus, the one who was killing people because they followed after Jesus. And he knew too that Jesus Christ hung on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, for Paul's sin for your sins, for my sins. Paul knew the courage of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that all that suffering he went through was for him. And so he said, it's not I have to do this, it's I get to do this. In light of the one who suffered that much for me, that I could just share in that suffering, just an ounce of that, just a drop of that. If I can just shed one drop of blood so I can taste a little bit of that, oh, that I would know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I get to do this for the sake of one who did that for me. It's a no-brainer. It's not I have to do this. I get to do this. And so he says the same thing for you and for me. In light of the gospel, do we see this? Jesus Christ is God, and he shed his blood for you and for me.
And whatever sacrifice, whatever suffering, whatever persecution, opposition we go through for him is not something we have to do, but it's something we get to endure to show the worth of Christ. You're writing a gospel, a chapter a day, by deeds you do and words you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. So what is a gospel according to you? Let's pray. As we weigh our conduct, the life that we live on a scale with the gospel, what are other people seeing the gospel to be? As we see our unity or disunity amongst other people juxtaposed with the weight of the gospel on the other side, how worthy is a gospel in the eyes of others? And as you think of your courage in the face of adversity in light of the gospel, How worthy is the gospel and how worthy is the Christ to you? Let's take a few moments right now to come before the Lord in prayer. We respond to his word. Maybe uh, prayers of confession if we feel like we have cheapened the gospel. Prayers of commitment. We can say, God, would you help me this week through my conduct, through my unity, cooperation with others, through my courage in the face of hardship, that I would demonstrate forth the wonder and the weight and the beauty of the gospel to those in my school, in my family, at work, neighborhood, wherever I might go. Let's take a couple minutes to pray to the Lord as we respond to his word, asking that he would change our hearts and make it ever true. Open our eyes to see the wonder and the weight and the worth of the gospel, that we would see it, our eyes would be expanded, that our lives would be lived in light of that. So let's pray and Respond to his word for a couple minutes. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word as it challenges us and teaches us to live a different kind of lifestyle. Not because someone is watching, not because someone is telling, but simply because we see the gospel, we see the wonder of Christ, and we believe that you are worthy. (coughs) So Father, we pray that you would change our hearts, that even now our hearts would begin to be molded and melted by a vision of the greatness of our God, that our lives would be lived, conducted in a manner worthy of the gospel, that our cooperation and unity with one another, adults with youth, youth with college students, 
college students with adults, adults with young people, whatever that might be, that there would be cooperation and unity for the sake of the gospel and that we would show the weight of the gospel and that as we go forth, that through our courage in the face of opposition, in the face of even persecution, in the face of hardship, would show forth how worthy you are of a Savior and of a Lord to us. We thank you so much. Would you seal your word in our heart and then I'll cause it to bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold in our church, in our individual lives, in the harvest for your glory. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.